Radio Mano Papachango. Chris, it's Tom from Vancouver. I'm out here on Wreck Beach, and it's my 30th birthday. Came out here to uh, be alone and go for a swim. I uh, just wanted to say thanks. The podcast has been a real help through some tough times, and thanks for helping me stay focused on what really matters in life. Lots of love. Hey, Chris. Paul Roy coming at you from the hills of the Horseshoe Valley in Ontario, Canada. I'm currently hiking barefoot through the mountain bike trails here on a mushroom hunt. And I'm pretty successful. I've got 15 varieties in my camera roll so far. I'm only halfway through. Uh, it's that time of year in early September where they're standing tall, they're coming through the leaves, they're sprouting, they're doing their thing, and I'm enjoying the shit out of them. You know what else I'm enjoying the fuck out of is your podcast. Keep rolling, baby. Scarlett Joe Vanson forever. Peace. Hey Chris, um, it's Monique from Northgate in the progressive inner north of uh, Melbourne down here in Australia. I'm just sitting in my front yard um, harvesting some chamomile, so I'm going to dry that for tea. You might be able to hear the birds in the background. Um, I was just listening to Roma 29 and my theory about why there are more men than women listening to your podcast is... Uh, the more men probably listen to Joe Rogan and they have found out about you that way. So that's my true sense. I love what you do. Uh, thank you again for this podcast, which has been very influential to my life. Um, big love from Down Under. See ya. Greetings, Earthlings. I come to you from Honoka'a, Hawaii. I'm learning how to pronounce things properly out here. It's been raining since I got here like four days ago. Rain, 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 motherfucking rain. And I rented a convertible. I wondered why the convertibles were so cheap when I was looking at rental cars. I'm like, damn, look at those cheap convertibles. I can get a Camaro for the same price as a Toyota Celica. I'm going for the Camaro convertible because I'm going to have a midlife fucking crisis in Hawaii. And I was about three blocks away from the airport and I was at a red light and the sky opened up and dumped buckets of rain straight onto me and the interior of my Camaro, and I could not figure out how to get the top up. I knew I had to push some button, but I it was pouring. There were cars everywhere. I had to put it in park, I think, but I'm in the middle of the street. Basically, I kind of panicked and made a not particularly safe maneuver. I also was trying to figure out how to get the windshield wipers to work. And I, I kind of peeled out and slid into somebody's driveway and figured it out Um, but I was soaked and that's sort of what Hawaii has been like for me 
since I got here. Then I went and uh, stayed at a friend of a friend's place at the end of a very bumpy dirt road and um, it rained and rained and rained and the puddles grew into pools and the pools into lagoons and I pretty much couldn't get out of there for three days. Luckily, uh, the friend of a friend was a wonderful person and had a super comfortable house and so I was very happy to be there. But I didn't really get to see a lot of the island. I'm on the big island. Um, I gave a little talk at the University of Hawaii at Hilo and met some really cool people there, went out for burgers and beers afterwards. And uh, now I'm at Honoka'a and uh, some friends, most of whom you're familiar with, have arrived and we are going pig hunting in a couple of hours with our bows except for Simon Rex, who has a rifle. Simon Rex, a.k.a. Dirt Nasty, is here to hunt pigs with Kyle Tierman, uh, host of the Kyle Tierman Show. I'm sorry, my phone is blowing up. I thought I turned it off. guess I was wrong. Uh, and um, his brother Toby, the Tobes, and uh, both of whom have been on my podcast, and Justin DeRider, who's a good friend, who's been on my podcast, episode 99. So everyone here is an alum of Tangentially Speaking, just occurred to me. And we're going to go shoot at pigs with our bows and arrows soon, all dressed in camo. This is a very manly situation out here, I got to say. Very testosterone heavy. Uh, speaking of testosterone, this episode is with the great Daniele Bolelli, martial arts expert, uh, host of two podcasts, the History on Fire podcast, which is is literally on fire. Uh, It's doing really well. Uh, It's his sort of focus on particular historic figures or moments. And then, of course, the Drunken Taoist podcast, which he's been doing for years. I've been on that podcast uh, a few times. So Daniele and I get together every once in a while and catch up, and uh, it's always wonderful. It's funny. He lives in sort of on the east side of L.A. I live on the west side of L.A., and it may as well be that we lived on the east coast and the west coast. That's how often we get together. It's it's hard. It's a good hour and a half drive to go each way to go hang with Daniele or for him to come and hang with me. So that's L.A. You've got a lot of interesting people around, but if they live on the other side of the 405, it's it's a trip. By the way, I, I just wanted to say to Tom and the Mushroom Hunter and the woman down in Melbourne, thank you for your beautiful... Um, little intros there. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't get them up timely. I mean, the mushroom guy said he was. It was September, <laughs> so that tells you how long that's been sitting there. Uh, and Tom's 30th birthday was probably a good six months ago. So um, I get to them. Uh, I try to play them in something like the order in which they came in, um, but I've got a bunch of them, so it takes a while sometimes. But I'm always happy to hear them and. Really happy to be able to share them with you and have this, you know, have you hear other people that are listening and know um, 
that uh, that there's a community out there. There's a whole community of you, and it's so cool to be at the hub of it. This episode, as pretty much all the episodes lately, is brought to you by Mudwater. Uh, there's a bunch of it here at this house in Hilo, no, in uh, Honoka'a, where we are. Um, there's a lot of mud being drunk here. Uh, Kyle mixed some up this morning with um, a little... What did he add? He added a little honey, a little almond milk. Oh, and some collagen um, because he broke his arm recently. So he's um, apparently these, this collagen stuff is good for the joints. So he added a little of that to the mud. Uh, he introduced Justin to it. Justin's a new fan. So everybody's drinking the mud up here in Hawaii and uh, hope you're drinking it wherever you are, especially if you're feeling like it might be time to move away from coffee a little bit. There's a little caffeine in there in the uh, in the cacao, um, but not much. Nothing like coffee. It's a very different sensation. Um, yeah, and I'm kind of feeling. I'm I'm definitely cutting back on the coffee. I feel like I've got a period of no coffee, no alcohol coming on pretty soon here. I can feel it coming. It's not here quite yet, but it's coming soon. So if you're gonna get, uh, you know, maybe take a period without the coffee. Mud is an interesting alternative. Mudwater, M-U-D-W-T-R dot com. Check it out. This episode is also brought to you by SC Medicinals, Santa Cruz Medicinals, yo. Um, they are specialize, they specialize in CBD formulas to people looking to lower inflammation and benefit from CBD, um, which is... Useful for definitely lowering inflammation. Also, some people find it very useful for getting to sleep and sleeping more deeply. Apparently, THC messes with your sleep cycles, but CBD doesn't, as far as I know. Uh, it's also um, very useful for people who are suffering from um, seizures of, of any sort. The, um, the evidence for anti-seizure activity in CBD is uh, very exciting. Anyway, I won't go into all that. You can look that up online. I won't take your time with it, but Santa Cruz Medicinal support this podcast. And if you are going to place an order with them, use the discount code CHRIS5 and you get, I think it's $5 off any order over 20 bucks. SCMedicinals.com. Check them out. Uh, you You don't get high. That's the thing about CBD. It doesn't make you high. It's a part of the cannabis plant that is has pharmaceutical uh, activity, but not psychoactive activity. And lastly, I wanted to mention this new website uh, that I've set up with uh, a friend called WhatMakesThisThingGreat.com. It's sort of just a place where um, I talk about things that I own that are high quality and they're not ads. So these aren't sponsors, um, but they're just people write to me and ask, you know, what kind of phone do you have? What kind of this do you have? Well, how do you use that? Or when? Because I put a lot of thought into things. I try to spend as little as possible. I try to buy things once and not again. Anyway, so that's what makes this thing great dot com. Right now it's set up with uh, Amazon affiliate link. So if you do buy something through the site, um, some of that money comes back to support my various nefarious activities. So that's helpful, but mainly it's just a place where you can check stuff out. If you 
have something you'd like to recommend to us, if you have um, uh, a tool or a product that you use that you really enjoy, you can send us a, a tip at what makes this thing great at gmail.com and uh, we'll check it out and maybe we'll get the manufacturer to send us a sample and check it out and if if we dig it then we'll throw it up on the site as well so that's always cool and of course if you want to send uh, an intro clip an audio intro clip uh, to the podcast please keep it brief and no need to no need to talk about how great I am we don't need to hear that just talk about what you're doing who you are um, and uh, say hi to the community that's the the real service we're trying to provide with that here at the beginning All right, I'm going to say goodbye and uh, play you out with a tune. It's a cover of a Jimi Hendrix song, If Six Was Nine. And this is by Axiom. It's from the soundtrack to a film called Stealing Beauty from uh, must be 20 years ago. Beautiful film. Uh, And this is, uh, I think Bootsy Collins is in here somewhere. I seem to remember his voice is in here. It's very bass-heavy, funky, groovy kind of version of a song that's already funky and groovy as hell. Gotta hand it to Jimmy. Uh, Hope you enjoy it.
white collar conservative flashing down the street, pointing that plastic finger at me. Yeah. Be hoping soon that my kind will drop off and die. But I'm gonna wave my freak flag high, baby. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, I just got out of bed about an hour ago. I'm drinking coffee, and I've got uh, a beautiful Italian here with me in my living room. Not exactly the beautiful Italian that I would have in mind for this situation. <laughs> so unfortunate. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's Daniele. He's got a deep voice, yes, not the kind. Yes, not yeah. exactly Sophia Loren, but well, that sucks. what are you going to do, man? Welcome, Daniele. It's been a long time, man. I know, man. Every time, uh, lately especially, when I find myself in dire need of some sanity, I look at uh, your Twitter or one of the podcasts <laughs> or something. Yeah, man. Actually, surprisingly enough, yes, because it's there's so much shit I see around me where people are... Even people, you know, people who used to listen to Alan Watts and Drop Acid who are now quoting like some ultra right-wing bullshit and mm. turn uh, like uh, let's go back to the old days when marriage was sacred and, all and I'm just like holy shit what happened you know yeah, it sounds like Jordan Peterson <laughs> thank you sure that's exactly you know the time machine has been invented and there's a 
poor Puritan congregation in the 1600s missing their favorite preacher. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I mean, a lot of people I know and like are just going in very weird direction. And so I yeah. go back to your shit and I'm just like, I get a big smile. I'm like, ah, the word still makes sense. Oh, so, wow, Daniele. I, I guess I should thank you for that. But it's strange that the world is so fucked up that I'm the voice of reason. Is yes. that what you're saying? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. I don't know, man. When I become normal, shit's really weird. No, the problem is you're not normal at all. And yeah. that's the voice of reason oh, part. Okay. You know, it's the you. fact that it's like, ah, oasis in the desert. Yes, fresh yeah. water. Good. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. I, I don't know. It's It does seem like... Uh, it does feel like we're in a unique historical moment. I'm, I mean, I guess lots of people have felt that over sure. the centuries. That, and there are, I guess, all historical moments are unique. But it does feel like, uh, you know, I was thinking the other day all this sort of social justice mm-hmm. rage that's all around us. I wonder to what extent that is a result of people feeling existential despair and they can't really do a damn thing about you know it's like the guy who hates his boss but he can't do anything so he goes home and abuses his family of course i kind of wonder if we're not doing that if especially because it seems to affect younger people more Mm -hmm. and so the younger you are the more of this fucked up world you're gonna have to live in it it just seems like if i were 30 years old and you're you know or 20 years mm-hmm. old and you're looking at your life and it's like come on the place is falling apart yeah you know it's like you guys got to dance and have fun at the party now the lights are on the ashtrays are full there's puke in the corner and i show up at the party now yeah. this is the party yeah. now fuck you guys it's a mess yeah, totally. And I think that's what's, uh, to me, both weird and sometimes frustrating seeing this kind of, com- like the conversations being in the headlines, being stuff about like, this is all we're talking about. Right. It doesn't fucking matter. R. Kelly pissed on some chick. Yeah. yeah Meanwhile, like, the goddamn fucking glaciers are melting. Yeah. You know? It's but, like, I think there are yeah. some things that are a little more important priorities. Yeah. But I think you're right. It's, there's that sense of powerlessness that is like, okay, what are you going to do about it as an individual? Right. You know, you can bitch and moan about it, but re- in reality, you have very little power to change things. Yeah. So let's uh, have a big fight about transgender bathrooms, you know? And it's like, and I mean, yeah. don't get me wrong, there are some issues that are not, I'm not making fun like, oh, that's stupid. I'm just saying in the great scheme of things, there are things that are a little more priority. Yeah. And those are swept. And and I kind of wonder how sometimes this is uh, partially may just be a product of feeling powerlessness to change the situation. And part of it may be intentionally fostered to keep, you know, let's have the the plebs fight each other over some bullshit issue that sure. doesn't really affect the bottom line of the people who are really pulling the strings. Yeah. So that, you know, let's throw them a bone that the people can fight on. While yeah. in the meantime, I keep making my money running the world in the same direction in which that has allowed me to keep making this money. You know, I, I feel people have heard me talk about this a lot, but I kind of have come to the conclusion that nobody's pulling the strings mm, that the strings an, pull themselves i think you're not wrong in that in the sense that 
or rather there's probably a little bit of both happening there no there is no master plan of somebody who has it all figured out because if there was a master plan you wouldn't be so stupid as to poison the very planet you live in so no nobody has a genius plan that they are at the same time due to short-sightedness and greed somebody who is in a position of power and at least is uh yeah while everything else is going to shit they have all the money and yeah. the fan they were gonna keep wanting that program to keep going to at least sure. give them the money and so maybe in that yeah. sense but pulling the string in a very limited kind of way i i feel like uh, that's certainly true that people who are winning the game don't want to change the rules mm-hmm. you know um but i also feel like the people who are winning the game don't realize that they're not really winning anything you know like there's so many people who are what we would call successful who are miserable absolutely right and if you talk to like i I was talking to this girl the other day um in malibu at the um, the soho house Mm in malibu which is like Soho House, for people who don't know, it's like a members-only thing. I'm not a member, but I have a friend who got me in. And um, it's very sort of exclusive. It, you know, what's his, some famous singer was sitting at the table next to us. And it's where, like, movie stars yeah. and famous people go to hang out where they won't be harassed by normal people. Anyway, this girl was there. I was talking with her, and she's very wealthy. She went to some private school in Malibu, grew up with all the money and all that. And she was talking about how she'd been addicted to painkillers uh-huh. and all the stuff and, you know, cut herself and try attempted suicide. And I said, um, I said, is that kind of stuff like common among your friends? And she said, I don't know anyone who I grew up with who isn't fucked up. Wow. Like nobody. Yeah. They're all fucked up. Our parents right. never had time for us. They hated each other. Yeah. Fucked up family life. You're raised by a nanny who hates you. Right. You're, you know, off getting horseback riding lessons and, you know, thrown off to some private school in Switzerland. And, you know, it's just like everybody's fucked up and they're the winners. Yeah, exactly. That's the top of the. So anyway, my point is, like, I feel like people aren't pulling strings like strings are pulling people, you know? Well, totally, because as you said, the the issue there is. If the so-called winners are just as fucked up as anyone else, or, but more at the, so. or more so, but at the same time, they feel like they don't know how to get out, right? They don't know how to make themselves happy, so they don't know how to make anybody else around them happy or make the planet a better place. They have no fucking idea. What they do know is, hey, at least I'm not homeless under a bridge. At right. least I can buy myself expensive toys and right. fly to Switzerland on a moment notice. Yeah. Maybe because I don't know anybody else who has it together, maybe that's all there is. Maybe that's winning the game. And so due to a severely misguided concept of what winning the game means, they will try to pull the strings to keep the game going because they think they are winning the game. You know what I mean? It's like So this leads to the question, who or what is behind this right right if yeah. they're not if they're just if they're just actors in the same play yeah who wrote the lines who wrote this play you know right what's going on and that's where my mind's at these days like you know watching it happen and realizing that nobody's in control and then like okay then 
what the fuck is going on here? There's my sort of thinking these days is about emergent properties and mm-hmm. emergent intelligence. So it's like a flocking behavior. Like we're yeah. we're random birds who've who formed a flock now. Or one metaphor I use a lot is the locust swarming. Uh-huh. Like we're swarming and we're destroying everything. But none of us is like, okay, guys, let's all go over to that cornfield and eat. Right. There's no leader. It yeah. just happens, you know, which leads to two things for me. It leads to a sense of greater helplessness. Uh-huh. Because it doesn't matter if Bernie's elected or, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez isn't going to save us. But uh, it also makes me feel less um, angry. Sure. Because I don't feel like anyone's really doing this to us. Like Trump isn't doing it. Trump is an effect. Absolutely. You know, he's not a leader. And there are no leaders, I guess, is what I'm... Even intellectually, it's yeah. interesting to think about how ideas become powerful and popular because they um, feed into a pre-existing power dynamic. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if if it's important for some sort of global economic reason to believe that um, Chinese are the superior race. If you write a book explaining why Chinese are the superior race, that book will be a bestseller because, you know, the Chinese Bill Gates will love it and write a review of it and it'll become, you know what I mean? So it's not really the quality of the idea. It's how it feeds into there's this Navajo expression I always I always remember. It's easiest to ride a horse in the direction it's going. Right. <laughs> it's, yeah. You know what I mean? Totally. So yeah. like Darwin. I, yeah. Darwin's a genius. Right. Like I don't mean to criticize Darwin. Darwin was a great genius, a great person. But his idea got co-opted. Mm-hmm. Natural selection got co-opted and absorbed into a justification for ruthless capitalism. Absolutely. Because that's what was needed by capitalism. Yeah. That's exactly what's going on. Yeah, it's, isn't it weird? Like, even Jesus, like, what the fuck? Jesus yeah. didn't... How is Jesus a justification for all the shit that these Christians are... It's uh, Anyway, yeah, sorry, and I'm ranting. No, but it's true. We're here to hear, listen to you rant, Danielle, <laughs> not me. No, but that's the thing. Is like, there is this sense that... Um, this lack of direction, this lack of uh, having a plan, this lack of... It really boils down to... 99.99% of people don't know how to make themselves happy. And that's not even a goal on the spectrum. It's like you you never sit down in school. Well, and probably good thing because the way schools are set up, it would probably be counter. But the point being, it's not even as a stated goal as like, okay, what do you need in life to be happy? Right. What is, take a month and plan, write down all the things that in your ideal life would be like. Mm. That to me is something that if any school was a real school where they actually teach you how to be a human being and handle life and mm. stuff, that would be priority number one, two, three, four, and five, right? Everything else is a tool to try to take you there. So yeah, learn this subject mm. so that it helps you get to that place and right. learn this other thing. That, But those are just tools. They are, the goal is how the fuck do you get a happy life where you are fulfilled, where people around you are happy to have you around, you know, that should be. And when you have this conversation with most people, which should be the most basic conversation in the world, the stuff that everybody has been thinking since they were five, people are like, oh, wow, what a concept. And I'm like, 
I'm sorry, what a concept? Isn't this what we should be talking about all the time? Mm. Like how do you how do you create a better life for yourself? Who yeah. do you want to be? You know, if you weren't a slave to 10,000 forces keeping you in places where you don't want to be, what would life be like? Because, I mean, tomorrow you win the lottery and you are no longer a slave, right? You're no longer a slave to economic conditions that force you to do a shitty job you don't want to do. You're no longer a slave to, you know. But if you haven't figured out what life would be like if you could get away from those things, then you're still, a, you happen to be a rich slave. You happen mm -hmm. to be the slave who fly to Switzerland as the private school, but you're still a slave to your own shit, right? right? You got a net worth of $10 million and you're still working weekends. Exactly. And it's just one of the things where it's like, how is that not one of the primary conversations? And it's not an ideological thing because, you know, your way of being happy may be completely different from mine or somebody else's. So it's not that everybody needs to believe the same, they need to reach the same conclusion. But the process, the very process of putting that as a priority of like, what are we here to do really? You yeah. know, what the fuck are we doing in this life? How do we make it enjoyable for everyone around us or as many people as possible and ourselves first and foremost? You know, what you end up having is the people then making billions writing self-help books to kind of fulfill this need that people have, of course, but they don't have a plan or they haven't thought it through and shit. So it's like, you know, then is the seven steps to happiness or the four. And it's all bullshit, right? It's just. Yeah. Well, let's unpack that a little bit. Sure. Um, is it possible to be healthy in an unhealthy world? Well, and I think that's a very key question because, of course, is that even an option? I mean, people right? who are listening to this right yeah. now who are the mm -hmm. people that we, we mentioned earlier, a lot of them are in their 20s, early 30s, their lives are ahead yeah. of them, and they're saying, okay, I want to be happy, I want to live a healthy life with meaning, and but look at the world I'm going to be living it in. It's a world of, you know, hundreds of millions of refugees and starvation sure. and despair and environmental decay. Is it even possible? I mean, can you, sure. how, how healthy can you be in a room full of secondhand smoke? You know, my old time idol more than there are quite a few people that I have as sort of historical role models, but my all-time idol is E.Q. Sojun, Zen priest from the 1400s, your kind of guy, right? I actually quoted you because I just recorded uh, two episodes about E.Q. for History on Fire. Hmm. They're coming out in the next few days. And I actually quoted you about uh, being the shame exorcist because he's your guy, right? Oh. He's sex well, you're quoting duncan there actually well applied to you though <laughs> applied, applied, you know yeah. duncan started it but applied it to you right yeah. he was in your honor the show shame exorcist yeah. the but the whole you know he's a zen sex drinking sake and uh, flipping off the zen establishment right you know? right and what I love about that dude is that he lived, uh, you know, he grew up, he was the legitimate son of the emperor of Japan. Uh, his father disowned him before he was even born. Uh, his mom, in order to save him from a shitty fate, had to put him in a Zen monastery when he was five years old. So he grew up without parents in this stifling, severe monastery where we're not quite all he was cracked out to be. 
49, there is, there's major civil war going on in Japan at one point, half of Kyoto burned to the ground, the people starving in the street, thousands. it's a shitty scenario, you know, it's not a scenario of like everything is great and wonderful. And sometimes you can see it in Ikkyu's writings that he's feeling it, you know, that he's it's affecting it. It cannot be just completely la-la happy in the middle of sure. shit. But at the same time, there's always, there's a line of EQ that's like, I love it to that because there's this EQ line that goes, throw me into hell and I'll find a way to enjoy it. Mm. You know, and he's not denying that there is such a thing as really shitty conditions mm -hmm. and he's not denying he's not saying no if you just think positive hell is really heaven no it's hell it sucks mm -hmm. you know there's no argument there and maybe you're not even gonna be able to change it maybe but what you can work is how can i in almost a defiant way yeah in the face of all this shit around raise you know defiant smile raise middle finger and just go you know, and I'm going to find a way to be happy despite all this shit, mm. in the middle of it all. You know, we had all these forces that I'm trying to pull me down, and there are very reas good reasons to be depressed. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Now, of course, that's easier said than done, because, you know, yeah. there are moments where you pull it off, and there are moments where all this shit weighs you down and pull you back down, and you're like, yes, that's great, I'm having fun in this and this, but look around. Yeah. But to me, it's like without that element, without the I'm going to find a way to have fun in the year now, there's certainly no greater transformation of the world around you. Now, there may be no greater transformation anyway. You know, maybe you yeah. cannot change the context around you. Yeah. But for sure as hell is never going to change unless you find a way to carve for yourself a little space where without denying external reality, you are find a way in spite of it all to find happiness. Now, what could happen, and now it's super optimistic, but what could happen is that because you find a way, you are able to pass that thing to somebody else and he plants a seed. And maybe, 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 you, if you eat enough of a critical mass of people going in that direction, you can make some major changes that affect society at large. The odds are not great. Okay? The odds are pretty poor for yeah. of that happening. Yeah. But sure as hell beats the alternative of just shooting yourself because life sucks and it's all yeah. depressing, you know? Yeah, yeah. You reminded me of two things. One, I interviewed a guy on this podcast a long time ago, um, probably the first hundred episodes or something, um, who had been in prison for 27 years for killing his mother, mm -hmm. but he didn't kill her. 27 years. He was framed by yep. the fucking detective. Oof. Detective who's retired right now, living in his house, no problem, even though... They demonstrated that he had framed this kid right. when he was 16, came home and found his mother dead, and they put him in prison for it, right? Anyway, I would, he, my aunt knew him, and just, you know, my aunt was like, you should interview Bruce. He's a really cool guy. And I was afraid to, and because I thought he would be so angry. Mm that I was just afraid to be near him. Sure. You know? And then I finally met him at a party and he was super chill and of then course. we arranged to do the podcast. So in the conversation, I said to him, you know, I got to be honest with you, I was afraid to yeah. do this. You know? It's like there was, 
it's as if there was some sickness that you had mm-hmm. that I was imagining I would catch if I was, <laughs> if I were near you. I said, "How do you? How is it that you're not angry? Yeah. You know?" And he said, "They took 27 years from me. I'm not going to give them another day." That's genius, right yeah. there. It is, but as you said, it's got to be so much easier to say than to do, right? So much because if you turn and look and say they took 27 years of my life 27 years in a cage Mm -hmm. for something i didn't do you you start slipping down that slope you're going really far you know and you have very good reasons to be angry yeah you're totally justified just like a young person looking at the world now is totally justified to be insanely angry insanely depressed literally insane right and some of them are going crazy you know but Um, that's exactly the point that yeah yeah you're right so what so what what can you do instead about it and uh, and again way easier said than done but actually interesting you mentioned because i saw the exact same thing where remember the guy geronimo pratt black panther party member Mm. framed for a murder in santa monica didn't do it Mm. discovered that he was bullshit let go after i think 27 or 26 or about the same time right and i remember the interview when he came out and I couldn't believe it because that dude was all smiles and mm. mellow. And they were like, aren't you mad? Aren't you? And it's like, that. I was so angry. But if I was angry for 27 years, I wouldn't have lasted. You right. know, I would have burned out. So after a while, you're like, I'll just sit here and meditate yeah. and find something to smile about because yeah. the alternative is not good. Right. So might as well, you know. I sometimes wonder, I, I mean, I agree with you. Uh, and and I try to arrange my life in that way. I I was angry when I was young, and then I got to a point where it's like, you know what? It doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. And your anger is unattractive, and it's gonna bring the wrong people into your life, and like it's not effective. Yep, exactly. It's not effective. Yep. And so I I gradually reoriented myself, and and yet sometimes I think. That human capacity, like you, you were talking about, uh, IQ, is uh-huh. it? Um, you know, you can throw me into hell, but I'll find a way to enjoy it. I sometimes wonder if that capacity isn't our downfall as a species, that we can adapt to anything. And therefore, we, another way of saying that is we can tolerate anything. So we end up like, oh, okay, I work in a coal mine, but at least I feed my kids so I won't join the revolution. I'm with you. you. I said, I think that's only one step in the sequence because it's like being able to adapt yourself to a sick concept or what's normal. That's not good. That just it perpetuates, perpetuates the, the, the crap. Yeah. But unless you find a way to breathe, you know, to be happy for a little bit. Mm. To me, that's a stepping stone towards something greater. You know, if all you have done is, oh, now I can uh, play video game and be happy in the middle of the world collapsing around me. I mean, I'm glad for you that you're not cutting yourself daily and you were having fun playing video games. Good for you. It's not helping anybody else, but that's great. To me, it's like that initial step of finding the little breathing room of happiness for yourself then should lead to the next step, which is how do I spread the contagion? How do I help mm. uh, this, this turn into more than just me having cut this tiny little island of happiness right. in the surrounding bullshit? Right. How do I actually 
affect other human beings in my life? How do I affect on a greater scale? Which know? gets back to the, the beginning of this conversation where you were saying that uh, any school worthy of its name would, would be teaching this question, mm-hmm. exploring this issue. And I think the first classes would have to be what do we mean by happiness totally because the definition is not a self-evident and b is probably different for everybody right but i think ultimately uh what we would conclude is that it's impossible to be happy alone truly happy not for a weekend i mean you can have a great time you know hiking whatever but true Whatever we mean by happiness, it must, it includes a sense of meaning and it includes a feeling that you're a positive presence in other people's lives. I could not agree more because I mean, I'm preaching to the choir here, but of course we're tribal creatures. Mm. We're not built for isolation, which is probably one of the things that is making us insane in the modern world, that people are lonelier than ever and we are cut off from community. And and the richer you are, the lonelier you are. Exactly. So, which is why some, you know, what I was saying, I'm not, it's not hyperbole. I think some of the people who, who've, who believe they're winning the games, they're actually the biggest losers. Yep. Living in that big house mm-hmm. in Malibu, isolated, nobody in the house except you and the yep. maid who hates your fucking guts. You're not winning, man. No, exactly. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, when people wonder why are people popping antidepressants, like there's no tomorrow, why is there, there's a sense of loneliness that's just not the way we are built, you know, we are built to live in communities, we are built to live in tribes, we are built to have close-knit relationship with at least a decent enough number of people. Yeah. All this shit doesn't, it's not how we are hardwired, you know, and so that just, uh, yeah, that right there is a huge element. It's like without creating some kind of community, however you want to define it, without being able to bring back a sense of modern tribes, everything else is you know yeah none of the stuff can last long term now that makes the problem 10 times harder because if it's hard enough to find a way to make yourself happy just yourself okay which is difficult in many many ways but at the same time connecting with other people who are in your same place where you are would have the same mindset similar priorities similar and you can help each other out in the process. Good luck finding too many of those, you know, because life is pulling people in 10,000 different directions. People are, bunch of the people that you like are still completely fucked up by being in this sick society around them and they mm. can pull themselves out and you can't quite do the work for them. Yeah. Some of them have figured their shit out, but they have other things that they are working on, want to do, they live in a different place. So the people that you can actually meet physically, face-to-face, to create a face-to-face community, that's a lot easier said than done. You know, that's like, yeah. I remember there's a beginning, and sorry if I go on on this, but Please. just came to mind. Mm. I remember I was reading um, The Spoke Zarathustra. I started reading it when I was probably, I don't know, late teens or something. And toward the beginning, there's this one scene where the lead character in the story, Zarathustra, that Nietzsche is telling us, there's this thing where he's dragging, he had this friend who dies along the way and he keeps dragging him with him. And eventually he realized that I cannot be dragging this dead weight behind me. I mean, unless there's somebody who actually is alive and want to walk next to me, what am I doing here? This is bullshit. And I think a lot of the time it ends up this way where somebody who 
managed to get out from underwater, who managed to find a place where they are in a healthier place, then desperately try to drag other people out. And in a bunch of cases, after a while, you realize you're pulling bad weight because these people are not getting out, you know, and they may be nice, they may be sweet, they may be whatever. And you tried one way, you tried another, you tried a third, and you're spending all your energy trying to say, come on, come on, we can do this together. And you're like, no, you can't. They are not there with you. And so in addition to having to do the job on yourself, you also have to find people who are at least within the range of possibilities for them to be there with you. Mm. That's, that I haven't had an incredible amount of luck with, you know? <laughs> it's like, I, yeah. like my life actually got a lot easier because for me, it was always a priority, right? Is I need my goddamn tree. Like the way I'm built is like, I feel one night I went to sleep. I was all happy, my teepee, hanging around with my people. And I woke up the next day and I'm like, the fuck is my teepee? Where's my tribe? Right. What just happened? What am I doing here? You know? Yeah. And for the longest time I tried to, come on, come on, let's build it. Let's make it happen. Let's set it up again. And things got way easier for me where at least temporarily I put that on hold where I was like, you know what? I need to focus on my own shit for a while. I need to take care of myself. I need to, I need to build the path that works even just for me. Now it's not my ideal. And as you were saying, I don't think just for me is going to work long term. But I'm just wasting energy at this stage because I don't, maybe I will meet those people. Maybe if I carry on my path and build something good for myself, maybe I will meet those people. And if I don't, at least I'll have had some fun in the process of carrying on my path. And if I do, great, then we can get to the real work, you know. But, you know, if you are waiting for to find the other 10, 20, 30 people who are at the same place, you may be waiting a long fucking time, you know, because it's... I feel like the the two threads of this conversation are converging now because, you know, we're talking about happiness and, and personal fulfillment and so on. And we're also talking about how to confront the collapsing world. And one of the things that I've been thinking about, it sounds like you're thinking about as well, is if the ship is sinking, maybe we can build a life raft. Mm-hmm a lifeboat right and by that i mean what you're describing uh, a core group of people with similar ideals um who buy land not together necessarily um but adjoining yeah right i don't want to get uh, the the main thing is like to avoid the mistakes that have been made in the past and one of them is like oh let's all put our money in together yeah that and, never <laughs> Daniele has a bunch of money. He could buy the land. That rarely works. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, yeah. the money thing gets complicated. But let's say we find this, you know, some beautiful place in wherever, Montana or Idaho yep. or someplace. And like you buy a bunch of land. I buy the land next to it. Yep. Someone else buys. So, so we've got whatever, 15, 20 people. And we sort of just buy up this area. And then we build a central structure in the middle that's for everybody with mm-hmm. the big fireplace and the big kitchen and the theater and a library. And like that's the hangout zone. Yep. But you've got your land where you've got your house and I've got my yurt and someone else is living in an airstream. And yep. and so there's a certain part that's communal, but there's a lot of, you know, if you don't want to hang, you've got your own place. Right. 
something like that where we take care of each other, mm-hmm. take care of each other's kids if you've yep. got kids, animals, somebody's you know taking care of the garden, someone else is dealing with chickens, someone's a doctor, someone's yep. you know like people can contribute because I don't know I'm I'm sure you experience this as well, but I like when I go in the van uh, every summer I go off right. And so many, I meet so many people who are looking for, like, they they want to put their energy into something. Yep. And they're just looking for something interesting to put their energy into, you know? Like, they've got their job, they've mm-hmm. got their whatever. So I mentioned this lifeboat idea, I don't know, a couple months ago. And I got a bunch of emails from people saying, when you set it up, let me know. I'm a plumber. I'll come and do the plumbing for you. And it's not like they want to move in. They no, just want to they contribute. Want, yeah, of course. They want to you know? see something that creates an alternative to the surrounding so, bullshit. Exactly. Yeah. So this is not only, I mean, it's a way for uh, to create a space for happiness. Because I agree with you. You can't make anyone happy. It's like education. I remember reading some line. Um, the point of education is not is is not to transmit information or something, but it's to create an environment in which learning can occur. You know what I mean? So create an environment in which happiness can occur. Mm-hmm. Not forcing everyone, hey, this is going to make you happy. No, right. no. Like here's a place. We figured this out. We're happy. We're taking care of each other. We're creating art. We're eating good food. We're raising children that are beautiful, happy children because there are a whole bunch of adults around who love them and right. protect them. Like if we're, So we're recreating a sort of modern tribal reality. I feel like people just coming and visiting and seeing that. She'd spend a week there. Spend that would week. change your life. And then they'd go out and build their own. Yep. And then exactly. and then suddenly there are all these pods, you know, coming up all over mushroom spores sprouting yep. around the world. I feel like that's as political as I can get at this point. And I, it's totally selfish. It's totally sure. like it's what I want to do. But, but at, it also seems like it could have a good effect. And at the highest level, to me, selfishness and altruism are un- indistinguishable hmm. because you know the enlightened selfishness is hmm. of course it's selfish is i want to make myself happy right but in order to make myself happy i cannot you know close my eyes to all the bullshit around right. me and just i'm happy sitting on my 10 million dollars well fuck you guys i have my guns to keep you right. away right that's not gonna lead you to happiness yeah like in that sense so enlightened like a good ego, an ego that's not just focused on stupid short-term goals, but on a larger scale. Understand that your happiness is not cannot exist without spreading it around you. Yeah. And so to me, it's like I tell it when I teach class. I'm like, hey, guys, you know, I'm going to try to make this course as enjoyable as humanly possible. You know, when I'm in, in these are academic classroom, you know, fun is not one of the words that's typically used <laughs> in academia, you know, but I'm like, dude, I want to. Yeah. And then after a while, when they get all excited, I'm like, oh, let's remember here. I'm not doing it because I'm a selfish, nice guy. I'm doing it because I'm a selfish bastard. Right. And if I'm going to show up here two days a week to teach, right. I want to have fun. Right. And I understand that if you guys look like you're passing out and all you want to do is hide in a corner to shoot up heroin, 
probably I'm not going to be having the greatest fun, yeah. you know? Yeah. So it's like, I need to make it good for you yeah. so that it's good for me. Right. Like good sex, yeah, right? I was, yeah, <laughs> I, was, I was thinking good. Yeah, I mean, yeah, good music. I right? Mean, you don't want to play music if your audience isn't dancing. Exactly. I mean, you, it's, it's an exactly. event. Exactly. in it together. And so let yeah. me ask you, oh, yeah. unless you had a different direction, I'll throw no, something no, out there and we decide. I think like what you highlighted now as the desire of people to be part of something greater than transform things, it's obviously a beautiful thing, is also the same thing that just every other cult has started and when, you know, mm. what separates the vision that we are playing with right now that's you know there's this, some beauty there's some health there's a vision for an alternative for the shitty conditions of humanity a lot of cults have started with that premise and they turned into shit right what do you think are the pitfalls that have led to a great premise like what we are playing with to turn into some shitty nasty cult mm. Yeah, well, probably uh, ego, right? Which sure. we talked about. So having a charismatic leader Fuck that. who's like, hey, I, I see the way, follow me, right? Yeah. Um, unless it's me or you. Of course. Yeah. That it's a whole different yeah. story. I yeah, mean, yeah. We would do it differently. Of course. Right? Totally. I mean, uh, yeah, some, any kind of like weird uh, like financial arrangements, give me all your money. Yeah. You know, that's no a bad good. start. Uh, I get to fuck all the girls. That's probably not a good idea. No. <laughs> Unless it's me or you. Right? Of course. Of course. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I think probably having it built around a, a like a fringe belief system is the problem. Right. right. Whereas if it's built around, no, no, this is just practical. We just want to eat good food. Yeah. So we're going to get together and take turns taking care of the garden and the chickens and we want to, um, we love each other, so we want to take care of each other. And if one of us is sick, the rest of us want to help him. And yep. that's just the way it is. And so to have that kind of, you know, keep it very basic and low to the ground. Right. You know, we're not here to change the world. We're just here to take care of each other yep. while we're alive. That's, yep. that's it, you know. I think keeping it very basic like that is probably uh, important and keeping the money thing as clear as possible. Other than that, you know, like it's funny. I was reading um, a book or maybe it was an article about, um, um, well, I don't want to call them cults, but like communes sure. and alternative communities yeah. and all that kind of thing. And, you know, we always hear like, oh, it never works. And, oh, the 60s didn't work and this didn't work, never works. The success rate if you consider 20 years mm -hmm. of continuity of communes is about the same as Silicon Valley startups. But nobody would ever say, don't try to do a startup. That of never course. works. Yeah, you know? right. like, Go for it. Maybe it'll work and it'll be amazing. But with the communes, it's like, oh, that never works. Uh, That's funny. You know, but it's the same thing. It's like 5% or something, yeah. you know. And 20 years later, it's still running. That's pretty good. That's a good you deal, know? definitely. So if it's five years down or 10 years down, it's probably a much higher number, stands to reason. And what you're saying yeah. that I think is intriguing as 
you add a tweak to the, that model that's great what you're doing is that idea that you're not necessarily you know everybody put their money together everybody's 100 invested in this thing it's like yes you are invested but you also have your plot of land you have your house right if you decide you don't want to deal with anybody for a while you lock the door put the sign what's at your doorstep right you know your, or you go you know you go to italy to be with your family exactly. for three months we'll take care of your place exactly and if you want to rent yeah. it out like we'll make sure that people don't trash it you know what i mean precisely like that community now what what happens there there are definitely situations like what happens if you want to sell your place and the guy who wants to buy it isn't really cool right of course then oh now we got this neighbor that nobody really likes who's you know what i mean so i think that that's the kind of thing you need to think about like who's who is admitted into the group right someone comes to help build a house and then they want to stay and you're sleeping with her and the rest of us don't really dig her that much you know i mean they're definitely complications for sure for sure and i think he's you know, I think this would actually be a cool exercise to play with sometime, to have the Chris and Daniele utopic corner where we sit down and purely theoretically play with some of these ideas. Right. Kind of see what the Try downfalls could be. Some, yeah. yeah. Because I think I think a lot of people would listen to what we're saying right now and be like, oh, this is awesome. Okay, how do you start? What's step one? What's step two? What's step three? What's how do I know that after step one, two, and three, I don't run into step four that makes the whole thing fall apart and I just invested a bunch of time and energy into something that's destined to fail anyway? And so I think it's like toying with it before even people can consider making it happen in a real way, really toying with the ins and outs, see what has worked in the past, what has not worked in the past, trying to figure out a way around it. And maybe even like with very personal aspect is like, why aren't we doing it right now? You know, what is that holding you or me back right now from making that from a vision into a reality? And, you know, there are, I'm sure we can come up with some very real things why we're not doing it right now. And so it's like, okay, is there a way around that problem or is that a stumbling block that kills the whole thing? Where it's like, yeah, it remains a beautiful vision that cannot have a real application. Well, I think one problem is what you said earlier, that it's very hard to get people in the same physical space these days. Sure. You know, like you and I live in the same city and we see each other like yep. what, twice a year. Maybe, right. You know? Right. Just because you're on one side of the 405 and I'm on the yeah. other, it's a fucking nightmare. <laughs> yeah. You know? Uh, so that's a that's an, a big issue. People need to make a living. Yep. You and I, basically, if we're making a living from writing and podcasts, we're kind of free to move to a new place. But most people, like, not. they've got a gig, they got to go yep. to work. So, yeah, there are definite issues. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I'm I'm sort of I'm getting close. Okay. Actually to doing something like this. The thing that's <laughs> holding me back right now is politics. Hmm. Like I don't want to plant roots, start, you know, really digging into a place if if the country's falling apart. You know, and I've as you know, you and I both have lived around the world and so I don't feel like I need to be in the U.S. Sure. You know, for the rest of my life. Um, <clears throat> but I'd, I like the U.S. I sure. like the culture and the land, and but it 
I mean, if what's going on right now is the beginning of the end, mm -hmm. then I don't necessarily want to be here for <laughs> Sticker, it. Right. But if it's like what I think it is, is 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 the the population, the public is so fucking sick of the status quo. Trump is one expression of that. Of course. The wild popularity of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is another. Sure. I think people are just like, somebody who's going to like break this yep. needs to get in there and break it. Cause this, so if that's a more optimistic look. So if the next election is like, you know, having already said it doesn't really matter. Sure. Um, yeah. Also, I'm 57, so I'm looking at 20 years you know but again it's better one good day where you have created a vision of what you want and again even if you go like fuck that would have been nice when i was 15 or that would have been nice growing up in it starting mm. from day one that yeah. would have been a better life well, but at the same time yeah. it's like somebody got to start it right well, i just <laughs> i read recently this quote is going around social media is something about like uh, a healthy society is one in which old men plant trees yeah. They know they'll never sit under something like that. Yep. That's exactly so I the kind point. Of feel, I mean, for me, I kind of feel like if I were able to be instrumental in getting something like this started, it would also give me a feeling of like I've created something that I'll leave behind that other yep. people can enjoy. And, you know, I'll never pick the fruit off this tree, but it's beautiful to see the tree you know speaking of meaning you know when you're talking yeah, about meaning exactly. that's a lot of fucking yeah. meaning right there that's right and like i don't have kids i mean you right, have a child sure. that's so you can invest a yeah. lot of that energy in her but yeah it's uh yeah it's an it's an interesting thing um what was i saying earlier oh i, I wanted to ask you you mentioned uh ikio is is one of the historical mm -hmm. figures that you consider to be sort of a, a mentor or yep. a hero who are some what are some of the other well i think that's the figures? problem that a lot of the people that i'm otherwise attracted to the characters that i'm like oh this is my kind of story they're all mildly mentally deranged they all have these heavy demons and they mm. create something amazing but there's this heaviness surrounding mm. them you know when you look at the crazy horse or the italian painter caravaggio or you know there are a lot of these characters who are almost the prototype of the it's almost like watching i don't know if you've ever seen uh, the marvel the punisher it's kind of mm. like that where there's this epic character who's larger than life but there's a monstrous amount of suffering and heaviness yeah. and darkness there well, isn't that the way it has to be though but that's i think why an eq guy is such a breath of fresh air for me yeah. because to me that was life right you're either an annoying normal contribute to shit human being or you are this larger than life but semi-tragic character finding out that it doesn't have to be all that way that you can actually have a model of somebody who is awake who is intense who's passionate and finds a way to be happy mm. not just constantly do great things while still remaining in this heavy space no mm. do great things and thrive and make people smile and make to me it's like holy shit that's new you know, yeah because so much of everything i've always seen as my role models were heroic but tragic tortured yes yeah and i'm like there's a space for that yeah. i mean there's certainly a space for that in my psyche for sure 
But as an ideal, that's not what I want. As an ideal, I would like that heroic aspect to lead to something a little healthier long term, you know, not to be yeah. this beautiful Greek tragedy. I would like it to be something beautiful and happy. Yeah. How's that for a concept? Yeah, and beautiful doesn't need to be grand. You know, I often think that the people I admire most are the people I've never heard of mm -hmm. because it wasn't important to them to change the world sure. or to be to leave their mark and their legacy. Yep. They they're the the hum and I met these, you know, I mean this was a really important kind of insight that I had, you know, as a young man when I hitchhiked to Alaska the first time and I don't know if you've heard this story, but like I was my life plan was to go to graduate school sure. and, you know, like be a professor and blah, blah, blah. And then I hitchhiked to Alaska and I met all these really humble, fantastic people. Mm -hmm. And I realized I was becoming a pedantic asshole like my friends who were yep. had gone to Oxford and Harvard and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, that's what I want to be. And then I met these people and I was like, wait a minute. I actually like these people. I admire them. Of course. Even though they've never, like, you know, they're they're not what you would call educated. Sure. They haven't, you know, read whatever. But but their lives are good. They're happy. Their relationships are cool. This guy built his own house. He knows how to fix his car. He's got these dogs who, you know, you can tell a lot about someone by their dogs, right? <laughs> you know, and their their relationships. Yeah. And it's like, wow, I want to be like this guy, but this guy didn't even finish college. This guy has no idea who Nietzsche is. And, who cares? You know, it's like, but he understands the things that Nietzsche was trying to say, or he understands the messages in these novels that I love so much. Yep. Um, what am I talking about? Where am I? No, but I mean, to me, that's... Uh... Oh, oh, the grand. Yeah. The, the, having a humble, yeah. but beautiful life. Yep. Why did I say but? Humble but beautiful, right? It's right. humble and beautiful. And beautiful there's, exactly. no, there's no contradiction between small scale and beauty. I agree. We're so brainwashing to thinking that, like, you know, intelligence is based on how many books you've read and your high IQ and whatever the right. fuck. Or but your life's a fucking mess. Exactly. But you're a genius. What? And you know, I look at you for three seconds and I have to grab my balls because I feel everything shriveling up because I your energy is so fucking weird, right? Is that why you keep grabbing your balls? <laughs> no, that's just me in Italian. And, uh, <laughs> the uh, <laughs> like, I noticed when I first. When I first met my lady now, Savannah, is like the age gap was humongous. Like she was uh, twenty she's or so. In her 80s. Uh, she's in her eighties. She's right? in her eighties. Yeah, 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 correct. No, she was like she looks younger. Right. Though. <laughs> <laughs> I met her. I was like. 37, 38, something like that, and she was like nineteen, twenty, and I was like. I, I, you know, I never approach it as this is not like I like her. She's an awesome person, right. but let's be real. I mean, come on, she's no. And You're a shriveled up old man. Yeah, let's not even go there, come right? On, I think I was thirty. Yeah, somewhere around there, maybe yeah. slightly younger, but not a lot. And we hung out, and I we spent a year hanging out. Not even the remotest thought of anything happening, right? Because it's like, come on, she's barely out of high school. What the fuck? There's just we're in different places. We are, but then I realized. Around her, I'm happier than I'm around anybody mm. because her energy mm. is just something else. And it's like, 
And then I stopped to think about where she's coming from in her life, where I'm coming from. Could not be more different. The upbringing we had, the shit we have read, what we have been exposed to, all of that could not be more different. And then I remember like, okay, also all the people I know who are more similar to me, do I click with any of them half as good as I click with her? No, I don't. Are they, oh, she's young, so she may be mature. She's more emotionally mature than anybody I know, any age, right? She's like mm-hmm. a fucking Zen monk who doesn't know what Zen is, right? He's like, Zen, what the fuck are we talking about? Except she embodies it in everything she does. Right. And so then you stop and you go, holy shit, this is somebody who has it. Mm-hmm. He's not the one who can tell me, write me a dissertation about Zen. Right. Fucking cares. He's like, right. yeah, that's nice that you know all those things. That does not really help if right. you cannot apply them in daily life. Yeah. She's probably never read them and it doesn't matter because she applies them on a, on a day-by-day basis. And I'm just like, oh, I get it now. This is what I like better. This, and ultimately you feel it. It's like, this makes me happy. Right. This other thing is the image of uh, an intellectualized version of what this should be. And so to me, that was a huge thing to realize. And, and it's exactly what you're saying, basically. That is like, you know, you have... Uh, what you can do in your day-to-day life, the presence you bring, the energy you bring, the emotional stability you bring, that's 10,000 times more important than any other of the bullshit that we get hung up on. That is like, is that really important to me? Not really, you know? And ultimately, when it comes to intelligence, I think intelligence is a poor word in that regard. I like, I don't even know what we're talking about when we say intelligence, but when it comes to wisdom, which is to me where it, intelligence should lead to otherwise it's pointless Mm. if somebody has it then they have done the whole journey already they don't need to step through every single thing to get they are already there yeah intelligence to me is only interesting if it leads to an embodied wisdom otherwise is uh it's like a party trick it's like oh i can Mm. recite this cool facts or i can impress you with my Mm. very fifty thousand words vocabulary it's like who cares? Yeah. There's no applicability whatsoever in that scenario. Yeah. And, uh, and in fact, it's often a distraction yeah. from wisdom. Or, yep, yep, yep. Uh, yeah, it has been for me. I mean, I I think for me, intelligence was a, was a weakness, mm-hmm. my own intelligence. Because, you know, I moved a lot as a kid and uh, at three different times. I went to three different high schools. So I was always the new kid, always like, you know, and at that age, it sucks, you know, like, and the way I defended myself was with intellectual arrogance, Mm -hmm. you know, like I'm smarter than you. So fuck off. I don't, I don't, yeah, I'm eating alone in the, you know, the lunchroom and that's humiliating and, uh, but I'm reading this really interesting book and so I don't give a fuck. And so I sort of armored myself with it and you know through college that was my thing and then when i went to alaska it all just fell apart and right. I, I realized like wow you're using intelligence as a way to separate yourself from people mm-hmm. and you're on a path that leads to loneliness and bitterness and 
You know, it's just not a good life. You know? Absolutely. And also I was doing a lot of psychedelics then. And so there was, you know, that was breaking it down as well. Like, what does it mean to be intelligent, right. dude? Like, if nobody loves you, you're not very intelligent. You yeah, know? exactly. It's, yeah. There's a... Yeah, you have the the dress of the real thing, but you're not the real thing. You know, you're you're missing out the stuff that makes it yeah. worth it in the first place. Because otherwise, yeah. what's the point? Well, yeah. and, I mean, at that age, my best friend was was a professor at mm-hmm. the college I was going to, and he taught, uh, you know, he taught like Moby Dick and Joseph Conrad, and you know, a lot of these transcendentalist late 19th century Walt Whitman mm-hmm. uh, Thoreau Emerson like and all these guys what they were writing about was immersing yourself in nature mm-hmm. and going out into the world and and uh, like really pursuing experience and here was this guy and I loved him he he was my best buddy as I said but you know he had gone to Amherst and then he went to Yale and then he got a job in this college. He got tenure. He had never had a job yeah. outside of academia. He had never worked in a factory or a gas station or a fast food place. He had never had a boss. He had never punched a clock. Right. And he was a Marxist. He had all these very vehement opinions about the world. And he had never been in it. <laughs> yeah. You that's know? how it is. And he was teaching these books that are you know about getting out into the world and i looked back at that and i was like i can't be that that i i love this guy but he's a hypocrite it's that good old idea of not mistaking the finger for the moon right it's like all those books all that stuff is pointing to something it's not the destination what is pointing to is where you're supposed to go right and yeah, it's, it's, it's funny when you uh, you just made me think of like when you have a dog and you point at something and the dog looks at your hand. Of course, of course, and it's like, no, you idiot! <laughs> I'm trying to point There's you a over. Rabbit over there, and, and that's exactly what those books do, right? Yeah, if you, yeah. if you start staring at the books alone, it's right. like. It's not that's, about the book. That's a map to right. take you to a real place, and if you spend all your days debating the map. I'm kind of missing the point here. Yeah, you're sitting in yeah. the library. And I remember there these these authors even say that explicitly. I remember in Song of Myself, Walt Whitman says something about like, don't sit in a room reading this poem. Yeah. Put me in your pocket yeah. and go out and let me feel you know, walking over the hillside. You know, like take me out into yeah. the world and sit under a tree and read this. Don't sit there. I remember reading that like, fuck, he's speaking directly to me here. Yep. Yeah. Whitman's amazing. Absolutely. He's also a crazy motherfucker, but Jesus, what a free spirit. Yeah. 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 So tell me about, uh, about crazy horse. And he was Lakota. Yeah. Lakota guy. And I mean, talk about tragedy, right? It's like his life goes, um, he was born in the 1840s. So he goes through, he's born at a time when his people are having it the best, right? right. You have a great life. That's the well, best got the of horses. They're hunting Buffalo. Exactly. The whites haven't come yet. Although smallpox has already come and wiped out a yeah. lot of the population before his time. Totally. Yeah. But he's getting to the plains, but he's still, he's, he's born right at the cusp, right? Mm. When things were, you know, you have, the best that hunting and gathering lifestyle can give you but with horses so on steroids on a greater scale with more people with more awesome and then he starts seeing all the life collapsing around him every i mean it starts when he was a kid like his uh 
mom uh, killed herself when he was like five years old. So I think he was like a fight with her husband and it's she very was unusual uh, yeah, suicide as, uh, hanging. She hanged herself from a cotton tree. Yeah. Oh, and wow. oddly enough, this was a jealousy thing, apparently, or at least that's the way the wow. story is told. That when he brought two more wives over, she didn't take it too well. And she, she, he was accusing her of having affairs with some white guy, all sort of stuff. And it was like, so who knows? In any case, that's the way it's told. So that's traumatic. And through his life, he starts seeing pretty much everybody he cares about die in front of him. You know, his brother got killed in battle. His best friend got killed in battle. His lifestyle is slowly being eroded as whites are coming in, taking over more of the land, bison disappearing. Uh, he's uh, one point he's madly in love with this woman who's with this other guy. The guy gets mad, come shoot him in the face. You know, all this shit happened over and over mm. and over. He has a daughter at one point who dies in childhood. It's like, you can, it's like, holy fuck, how many can you go through? You know, yeah. he has a list that's one of those would be most people who've been therapy for the rest of their lives. He has like 10 of those in the span of a couple of decades or something. Plus his world is literally ending. Collapsing before his eyes. And he's, um, in some way, he clearly some of it fucked him up psychologically where they say like he's different from all the other Lakota he's very soft-spoken mm. barely speak doesn't say much most Lakota culture they tend to boast they tend to be a little show off and I'm macho mm. and I'm tough and crazy horse is like borderline like you would pass him over like who's that guy he's because he's so mellow and mm. so soft-spoken and so in his own space right but then when battle time comes he's an absolute fucking beast right he just can fly in the middle of bullets everywhere and nothing touches him and he gets shit done in a way that everybody's like holy sh he's like the archetype of the strong silent type mm. right and so he has this sense where the dude is undefeatable on the battlefield and yet he's losing everything around him yeah you know so there's this just a position of having this tremendous power right and you can't use it to do what you really want, which is to save your friends and family, to save your lifestyle Crazy. and all of it. And it's so, like the battlefield's the only place he's safe. Exactly. You know who that reminds me of? Mike Tyson. Totally, right? There's that vibe of like, when you are in that ring, everything makes sense. Yeah. And the second you step out, it's where it all goes to shit. Yeah. Like there's literally one point when his brother dies, the way he deals with it, he goes to find his bones, he buries the bones, and then his way of feeling better is going out looking for white guys and killing a whole bunch of them mm. on his own, just hunting them down. And in that moment when he's doing that, you know, in the middle of the gore and bloodshed and fighting against the whites, his word makes sense. He's probably the one moment where his demons are not screaming in his ears, you know, it's like where he can find some peace oddly enough. He's yeah. right in the middle of battle. Right. When that ends... He has to go back to the reality that is, you know, one end is super powerful guy and is ultimately powerless to do the shit that he would want to do. Yeah. And so talk about, you know, archetypal tragic story, right? And so he's awesome in some way, but it's as sad as hell. It's incredibly sad story, you know, and it's... Uh, Was he... He, he didn't die in battle, did he? No, that's the thing, he too. He was, like, on a reservation in the end. So he surrendered last 
Sitting Bull went to Canada, so he lasted a few more years. Resource is the last ones that stay in US to surrender. He comes in, they put him on this reservation on Pine Ridge, and there are some of the chiefs who have surrendered before him. Crazy Horse walk in, and everybody's looking at Crazy Horse as the badass, because he never signed a treaty, he has been uncompromising to the end, everybody look up to him as that's a real Lakota. Some of the other chiefs who have been like slowly negotiating away Lakota life one little inch at a time. Mm. And you can see why, right? This thing thought maybe there is no alternative. Maybe maybe this is the only path forward. So I'm not even judging them like, oh, you're a sellout. But, sure. but that's the reality. You have been negotiating, giving away your lifestyle in exchange for peanuts every day. They were taking it anyway. Exactly. Yeah. So you may have good reason, but I don't blame them for that part. The part that gets ugly is that they get jealous. The right. fact that everybody look at Crazy Horse right. as the cool guy. And right. so they start spreading rumors about Crazy Horse. They start saying he's planning to rebel. He's going to do this and that. Mm-hmm. The army, they already, they spent decades fighting this dude. They are more than willing to believe anything that's been said. And they probably want him out of the way anyway. Mm-hmm. So marriage made in heaven right lakota jealousy of some of these guys army wanting to get rid of him anyway and so they just set him up like they officially while quote-unquote resisting arrest they set him up to get murdered right and so like the lead who knows what's real and what's not but the legend was that crazy horse had this vision when he was young that he would be unbeatable in battle but he could be killed when his own people are holding him back and so in this case where they are trying to arrest him, there's another Lakota guy who's trying to take a knife away from Crazy Horse as he's trying to fight and get out. And when they are struggling for the knife, that's when a US soldier come up from behind, stick a bayonet through him and kills him. You know, so it's, uh, yeah, even that side of it is heavy, you yeah. know, because he gets, who does he get fucked over? By his very own people, you yeah. know? Yeah, it's incredible. I was in the van last summer, up uh, in Oregon in mm-hmm. the Nez Perce area oh, yeah. and Chief Joseph. Yep. And it's just, I mean, like you, I was so steeped in that stuff as a kid. It's impossible for me to travel in the U.S. without seeing it 200 years ago and imagining what life was like. It, yep. was, it must have been so good, you know, yep. toward the, before the end, before the beginning of the end. If you could choose... As a, if you could choose a time and a place to live your next life, you mean going back in the as, time machine? As, and yeah, uh, as a normal person, right? Not yeah. as like an emperor in sure, Rome. Sure, sure, of course. But like, if you could just like say, okay, I'm going to be a normal Cheyenne in 1820, or you that know, something sounds like that. just about perfect, right there. <laughs> that, and granted, don't get me wrong, I'm not idealizing it. I get it that there's the tribe next door who come to steal your horses and try to murder you in your sleep. I, there's actually a Cheyenne quote by this guy, Wooden Leg, who says, uh, long after he lived, long after surrendering and the reservation period and stuff. And he said, you know, there's something cool about going to sleep, not thinking that somebody maybe cut coming to cut my throat in my sleep <laughs> i like it you know yeah. it's peaceful now i get there's something where he's like i dig it you know mm. this is cool but and then he goes and say man i miss the old days you yeah. know the old days i felt 
that was a downside, but all the other stuff made me feel so much more alive, so much better than this stuff. You know, the, yeah. the life we had was the coolest. Stuff. So he knows that he's not idealizing it like oh, everything was hunky dory. No, there was some real shit going on. But even when he's safer and everything is kind of quote unquote working out in the sense that he's not going to starve, he's going to have a safe life, he's, there's a part of it that's like, yeah, but the real life was something else. You yeah. know, I miss the old days when we would go hunting buffaloes and that would be our life. And well, we, isn't that the trajectory of civilization in general, right? It's like, yeah, you live in pro close proximity to death and danger, but you feel alive. Yep. Or you can sacrifice that you lose that for packaged food and your foam bed from china that's god knows what gases you're breathing all night and yeah okay you want to be comfortable or you want to be alive yeah and and i think like maybe and again this is ridiculous optimism but maybe there's a way to have not have your kids die of plague and your neighbors try to murder you and still so where there's a degree of the good side that there is today, but where you, we get the stuff that really make life meaningful, which is mm. what's been lost, you know, where... Is that what mountain climbers are doing? You know, extreme sports athletes, right. is that what they're doing? That they're, they're, they're looking for that edge, that proximity to danger that makes one feel alive? I mean, I got that traveling. I got right. that from like walking down a street and you know, fucking New, New Delhi or something and, and feeling like exposed in a way and vulnerable. Sure. Um, There's is that something what we're seeking that. with that? And, and the fasting and you do the, the jujitsu. Sure, and, sure. Like we're seeking some proximity to, to risk and danger. Right? Yeah, because I mean, it gives you a sense of reality. You know, it gives yeah. you a sense of there's an immediate feedback. It's like you yeah. can rationalize things all you want, but there are forces out there that either it works one way or it works another. It's very objective. You right. Know? Yeah. So much of our lives is not objective at all yeah. that when you get back to the raw elements, it's like, yeah, you either put food on the table or you don't. You either win a fight or you lose it. You either yeah. do climb that mountain or you fall off there's there's a certain simplicity to it that's uh it's liberating yeah it's refreshing it's like i remember being somewhere i don't even remember where i was but somewhere hitchhiking you know out in the middle of nowhere and i remember i was with a guy and he was smoking a cigarette and he passed it to me and i don't smoke cigarettes but i sure. took some anyway and i'd smoked it and i remember thinking I'm I'm worried about whether I'm going to get stuck in the rain or not. I don't I don't think about lung cancer 20 years from now. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like I, I just remember having this insight. Like when your concerns are immediate, yeah. you're liberated from those long term. It's yeah. like stress. You uh -huh. you know if you feel acute stress. You're not thinking about the chronic stressors. Absolutely. Right? If you're running from a lion, you're not thinking about your retirement account. Yep. You know, it's. Yeah, yeah, I think the beauty of those experiences is any intense experience puts you in the moment. Yeah. And that's right. when all the bullshit of our mind making up shit about the future, the past, uh, dwelling on old shit or mm -hmm. worrying about the future. There's none of that shit. There's right. only the guy who's trying to choke you on the mat right now and right. you're trying to fight him. Or there's the beautiful climb that you're on and you need to focus every last tiny bit of attention yeah. on where you put your hands next. And there is a... 
action zen in that sense you know we're in the middle of very intense action that's sex i don't have to tell you right it's like great sex you're not thinking about what you're gonna have for dinner while you're having sex you know it's like or you're doing it wrong probably at that moment <laughs> you know it's like you are in the fucking moment literally right. literally and, uh, yeah. and that's it feels also physically but also refreshing mentally where it's like yeah. all that shit is gone yeah. there's only right now these two bodies intertwined in sweaty or ecstasy three. Or, or three or four or whatever <laughs> many right yeah let's not limit our options <laughs> here yeah and yeah. it's so all right we we got off track though if you pick pick a north american tribe and time no i think you nailed it i think really? it's plain tribe Southern 1820s plains. 1830s where you have all the good stuff of the horses before right why people you like come the in. bison you're you're a big i'm down with the bison, bison. i am uh, so yes <laughs> teepees are awesome teepees Just, are pretty cool yeah that's true i think i i would probably go um i'd go more iroquois i think those guys were you fucking know. intense though yeah it's like that's where intertribal warfare takes it to a whole other oh, you're, notch you're thinking about like torture yeah that that's, gets yeah. a little although there i don't think there was a lot of warfare until the whites came and disrupted because the iroquois nation i mean that was a huge area and they yeah it looked like culturally speaking they were pretty intense i mean it's kind of the thing that's funny is like if you look even at some of the guys they wiped each other out with like the eurons or something there are these stories that say that visitors would remark at how incredible social cohesion there was. You know, mm. there were maybe 800 people living in really close quarters yeah. and everybody got along. Everybody was like, how do you do that? Mm. That, you know, in order to keep the peace inside under sometimes stressful condition of not having enough space, then you take it out on somebody else. Mm. And so in, with each other, you are adorable. Mm. And then uh, you grab an enemy and torture them to death. You know. Although the, you know, it's, as you know, as a historian, it, it's funny how we use words and and the words can hide meanings, right? Like torture, for sure. example. We torture in our world is is the absolute lack of respect. Sure. And, you know. Whereas the way the Huron and and some of those tribes did it, it was a great honor to be tortured. Yeah, but you know. I got you, but still, you know, it's I mean, like before you were tortured. My understanding is before, if you were captured in battle, right, right, before you were tortured, you were like all like the hottest women were fucking you, and they were giving you the best food, and you'd spend like the best week of your life, uh, right. And then you'd be burned at the stake, or you'd you know you run the gauntlet, get beat right. to shit, and then they'd burn you alive, and and you're your uh, objective was not to scream in pain. Yeah, I mean, that becomes like a warrior context, right? right. It's like, that's your opportunity to show off what a badass you are. Right. But still, you know, if I'm, if I'm designing my ideal culture, that's probably not <laughs> one of the features I want to include, you know? It's like, yeah. I can do without that one. Yeah, it's a, rough, it's a rough way to die, but, you know, look at the way we die. <laughs> I mean, seriously, you know, like, fading away sure. for months in some, like, Oh no! I'm... Facility with catheters stuck up your dick. No, I think I'd rather be burned alive than have anything stuck up my dick. How about a middle ground? How about you just kind of Legends of the Fall? You go off and fight a bear and uh, you yeah. know die fighting the bear and lose, of course, because <laughs> you fight a bear. So is Did you hear about this guy who fought the the cougar? Recently? Yeah, yeah, I saw and that. 
I so saw it was that. the so the news story is you know this man fights off a mountain, a mountain lion, lion yeah. and he suffocated it yeah. and what a badass dude. Yeah. And then I read an article like an interview with him and, and you know in the fine print. It was thirty five pounds. Yeah, yeah, I it know. Was it's like, it was a kitten. It was. Yeah, I mean, I, a fucking mountain yeah. lion. It was a mountain cub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> you know, I still don't want to tackle a thirty five pound mountain lion. No, no, I'm sure you, it's not fun anyway. But yeah, sure. it's, you're not fighting a mountain yeah. lion. <laughs> <Let's>, <laughs> Come on. You know, yeah. Come on, yeah. It's like, oh, he killed a bear. Yeah, it was a koala bear. Yeah, yeah. It's kind <laughs> of right. It's, yeah, because if I when I read it, I'm like, yeah, there's no fucking way. Yeah, you don't choke a mountain. Lion I, I mean, my first thought was like it was old and sick. Yeah, I mean, sure, if he's already dead and you kick him down the cliff, yeah, right, sure. But right. it's like, but like if, come on, thirty-five pounds—that's yeah. like a—that's a medium-sized dog. Yeah, yeah, of course. Which again, you know, if you have a mean-ass dog and you are able to yeah. defend yourself, that's impressive. But I mean, if it's a pit bull, yeah, yeah that's uh, exactly. But it could be a poodle, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Where it's like it's just a really fat poodle, you know? Fat <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I suffocated it with my. Hands. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. <laughs> uh, what time? What time do you have to roll, man? Uh, probably twelve. Yeah, right about in the next ten minutes. Okay, so. all right. So. so we'll wrap this up because I I could go on all day with you. Well, this is fun. Uh, Daniele Bolelli, you're no. You have an announcement that you? No, I mean like? it's uh, my. You know, you're running two podcasts. You're yeah. a busy man. Two podcasts. You're a father. You're a you know legendary lover. Uh, Most important. <laughs> you know, all the other shit doesn't really matter. As an yeah, Italian, of course. you're sort of expected. Yeah. Um, you've got the History on Fire, which has taken off and done yeah. really well, right? So, okay. So, Drunken Taoist remains alive and well in its regular format. Couple of episodes a month. Uh, History on Fire is gone now. I'm kind of modifying things. So I have two episodes. You know, so far I've been doing like 15 episodes a year and it's kind of intense because those episodes are like, it's like writing a book every month, basically. It's like, it's a little intense. So what happened was I really couldn't keep up that pace anymore without some kind of help. So I did sign with this company, Luminary. They do a subscription basis. So I think it's like eight bucks a month or something. And you get like 20, 30 podcasts or something. Mine is one of them. And what I'm going to do is I'll still release two episodes per year free. So those are going to be, you can find them everywhere. But the others are just going to be through subscription. So there's, you know, people, I understand people don't want to pay or they don't have the money or whatever. They still get a couple of episodes per year free. But the rest, in order to keep up that pace. It's like a I Netflix kind of model. Yeah, right? it is. Subscription, there's a lot of um, exclusive content exactly. that they're, yep. they're lining up. And yep. then they also have their app, as I understand. I just read about this in the New York mm-hmm. Times. Their app can also be used to listen to yep. any podcast. Yeah, you can use all the, listen to all the regular free podcasts, and, then, and that's free. And then you can have the exclusive content for pay. Right. Cool. Yeah. Well, congratulations, man. You got picked up. I mean, that's a big, it's a big deal in the now, world of podcasting. I mean, it's another thing is like, who knows what that means? You know, you have the criticism of the people who feel like, oh, podcast is supposed to be free and independent. And I get it. That's a sweet concept. But at the same time, it also, if you're investing the time and the energy that I'm yeah. investing, it kind of needs to pay. And sometimes yeah. the free model doesn't always lead yeah. to that working super well. Yeah. So I'm like, 
you know, there's a point where it's like, this could be an interesting, it's an alternative. It's not that it's going to make other independent podcasts disappear. It's not, but it's an alternative to that model. And it's like, okay, let's see. I'm interested in the experiment, you know, yeah. let's see if that experiment works, if it makes sense or not for people. Well, and, and I agree, like the, the history on fire is very different from a podcast like this, where yep. we just hang out and chat and I, you know, spend an hour pushing some buttons and add a song and boom, yep. it's done. You know, you're doing hours and hours of research and I mean, do you write a script? It's not fully notes? scripted, but very detailed notes. Right. I mean, I kid you not, probably every episode is at least a hundred hours of work. Yeah closer to 200 sometime yeah yeah and you're just not gonna do that kind of work if you're not no. making significant money from of course because it, it's a job exactly it you know if you do it as a hobby you do it two times a year and you're done and oh right. fun whatever but right. if you actually are gonna do it on a regular basis that means there's a bunch of other things you can do which right. means the money is to come in from somewhere right. and so and your archives will still be available archives i think what i'm gonna do is uh that was part of the negotiation i think we're gonna leave eight episodes out of the old ones and they may rotate them so some of those may come back as mm, time go on good. but then some of it they will keep and then uh, about eight will be out there available at all times and right. then two new ones each year right that's What's the uh, your favorite episode you've done so far? Um, I dig the biographies a lot. Yeah. I have a lot of fun when I get into some, not just a big picture history, but when right. I get into somebody's life. I did a four-part series on Crazy Horse. I did a two-part on Caravaggio, the Italian painter who was a crazy, insane badass. Mm. I've done, uh, you know, there's, I've done a series on Jack Johnson, first uh, black guy to win the heavyweight champion in boxing. He's another wild, mm. crazy character. Yeah. I've done, I don't know, I enjoy, I think that's part of the thing. I, I enjoy those stories, yeah. you know, I enjoy yeah. diving deep, researching, yeah. writing it out is, they're fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to having time to just like listen to your podcast and read books about I mean, I haven't read what I wanted to read for a long no, time. I've I been reading for yeah. work, you know? Yeah. Like, I, I really want to read. There's a biography of um, Captain Scott. Which one know? is Captain he, Scott? Uh, he, I, is it Scott? The, he sort of went to, he died in Hawaii. Was that Scott? Cook. 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 Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. 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 So, yeah, I need to read the fucking book. Yeah, that's an interesting. Yeah, I mean, just that. Totally. You know, those guys, what a fucking life those guys were leading. Or a Humboldt. There's also a biography right. of Humboldt I'd like to read. He was all up in the Amazon in, what, the 1840s or 50s or something? Right. Like, crazy. Yeah, and now it's just like, oh, good weed, man, Humboldt. <laughs> Humboldt County, yeah. That's a legacy right there. <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right, man, we got to end this so you can go live your life and cool. do your job. Thank you, Dan Daniele Bolelli. Thank History you so on much. fire and a drunken Taoist. Yeah. All right, so folks, I hope you enjoyed that uh, conversation with Daniele Bolelli, the great, the one and only. I will get back to you next time with more news about whether or not I uh, shot something <laughs> today. I don't know. I don't know if it's going to happen. I think, as I told you when I was in um, on the other island of Molokai a little while ago, I had a chance to shoot some pigs, and I just didn't really feel it. So we'll see if I feel differently today. I don't know. It's a, it's a different day. Maybe I should starve myself for a few days and see if that changes it. 
In any event, please uh, check out Mudwater, M-U-D-W-T-R.com. They very generously sponsor this podcast. So if you dig the podcast, you probably dig them because they're helping bring it to life. And also SC Medicinals for your CBD needs. And don't forget, you can use the discount code CHRIS5 to get five bucks off your order. All right, that's it. I'm going to say goodbye. I'm not going to do the whole thing with mom. Oh, although there are new t-shirts, I need to tell you. They just came in uh, since I've been here in Hawaii, so I haven't had a chance to take pictures and get people to model them and all that. Um, but they are t-shirts that say 96 point, no, it's 96. Yeah, it's 96.9% bonobo. They're just black. They're from Sure Design t-shirts, white letters, 96.9% bonobo. So if you want to jump in and order one of those before, oh, you can't. They're not even up on the website yet. They'll be available soon. Let's just put it that way. 96.9% bonobo. It's not, nobody knows the exact. It depends how you sort of measure these things. There's no exact correct number. But, you know, the nines and the sixes seem to make sense somehow. I think you know what I mean. All right. Carsey Blanton's going to say, sing you out now with her beautiful song, Smoke, Smoke Alarm. She's on tour right now, so go to CarseyBlanton.com. See if she's playing near you. If she is, get your ass out there. Believe me, you'll have a great time. All right. Love you all. Here's to you, Justin and Bennett. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm going to die one day. Why do you waste your time thinking about your reputation? Trying to meet an expectation, wondering what they're going to say. When everyone you've ever known is headed for a headstone. I don't want to give the end away, but we're going to die one day. Your body is an animal, doesn't ask for much. A little music and a soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Your heart is in a birdcage Singing in your chest You wanna shut it up but give it a rest You're gonna die one day Why do we waste our time Thinking about a reputation Running from a confrontation say <laughs> when everyone we've ever known is headed for a headstone I don't want to give the end away but we're gonna die one day we're gonna die one day we're gonna die one day so baby what's a big deal if you want to be what you wanna feel Spend the night with me I'm gonna take you up in my arms And 
And if we must go down, we'll go singing to the smoke alarms. We'll dance into the ground.